Uh, two quick things to highlight before we jump into this psalm, Psalm 51. Uh, first is a, a membership meeting on uh, Wednesday the 15th, a couple weeks from now. So we'll gather in here, give updates, uh, and just uh, share praises and uh, sing and pray together. Uh, so if you are a member at the well, uh, there's a membership class next Sunday. You can take that uh, to become a member. Uh, but on the 15th, uh, next uh, couple Wednesdays from now, we've got a membership meeting here at 7 o'clock. Please prioritize that. And then Ash Wednesday, we're going to do an Ash Wednesday service to kick off Lent and prepare for Easter. That's uh, February 22nd coming up. All right, so heads up for those things. We're in Psalm 51. Uh, this is a psalm. Uh, the, the Psalter, or the book of Psalms, is really a collection of prayers. Uh, many by David and, and uh, then a few by a few others. Uh, and, and most of them, you know, uh, David is simply just praying. He, he's uh, looking up or, or head down uh, before God, uh, talking to God honestly and openly. Uh, some are full of just praise and thanks, and some are uh, a lament or confession uh, like this one. Uh, in a few of them, he teaches about prayer or meditation and that kind of thing, but in most of them, he is actually praying. Uh, we began uh, our prayer series three weeks ago, and, and remember, we were in the Lord's Prayer, and we talked about that, that prayer is more about knowing someone than getting something. It's not about getting something or, or laying just a list of requests to get something from God. It, it's about knowing someone. It, it, and the Lord's Prayer begins with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it's it's about knowing our God, our Father, talking with Him, a conversation that leads to transformation where, where we're embraced by God, where we embrace God, and where we submit to God and say, your will be done in my life, your will be done in my house, in my neighborhood, my county, my country. We, we want you and your name to be hallowed or held in a holy place. It's embrace and submission. Prayer is about getting to know someone, not getting something. A conversation that leads to transformation. Uh, we, we put up a few resources. That's a QR code that will take you right to the page. Uh, on the resource page, right on our home page, you can get information on, on kind of how to pray. That's sometimes a barrier to this relationship with God of submission and embrace, not knowing how to pray. Uh, we highlighted a journal. You can pick up a journal in the back. It's a free gift from us, a, a way to converse with God. And, and these couple guides, uh, you can get those online or at the back welcome table. Because here's the deal, we, we want everyone to grow in their relationship with the living God this season. Uh, not to pray, right? Not to, uh, man, we got to pray more, but to actually sit with, enjoy, talk to, listen to, be embraced by, and submit to the living God. So we're going to do what we've done at the beginning of every prayer sermon, and we're going to kneel before him. If you're able, uh, would you kneel with me? Uh, posture is important in prayer to submit our minds and our hearts and our lives to our God. And maybe you'll remember this graph. You know, we said relationship with God, it, it's kind of, it's, it's a, in a sense, a normal relationship. It's got its ups and downs and Sometimes it's, you know, it just feels like you're flatlining a little bit, and then it was highlighted. Even sometimes you feel like you're going back in time. It's so ugly, so swirling. You don't really know what's going on in life. You don't know where God is. And then other times, man, it's soaring. You're just feeling intimate with Him and, and knowledge uh, of Him and, and obedience to Him. 
So would you just place yourself uh, somewhere on that graph right now? Where are you right now with the Lord? You got yourself? Uh, now you can close your eyes and bow your heads and together let's talk to our God. And Father, as we come before you, first we just want to praise you. We want to adore you. Whatever circumstance we're in with you right now or in feeling absence or just flatlining and just going through the motions, God, we just want to first just acknowledge who you are as an always faithful, ever-loving God. We praise you. And God, in light of who you are, we confess who we are. It's often in stark contrast to who you are. So we confess you right where we are, right this morning, right now, with you and with others. And Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you embrace us. You don't stiff arm us or cast us out, but you draw us in as sons and daughters. And we give you thanks also just for all you've given us in our lives. We give you thanks specifically now for who you are and the things you give and the way you've carried us, maybe even in suffering today. now, God, in supplication or request, we, well, specifically, God, right now, we just ask, would you meet us? Would you give us each humble hearts? Would you give us open ears? Mind that is ready to be transformed by the truths of your word, uh, hearts and emotions that are ready to be gripped by your spirit. God, uh, hands and feet that are ready to be active in obedience to you. We, each of us, God, we just ask, would you speak to us through your scripture this morning? We place ourselves under you and your word. Father, you are worthy of all our praise. We know who we are and even heightens your mercy and grace and goodness. We give you thanks for the grace you pour on us and all you've given us in our lives and how you've carried us in our lives. And, and we ask this morning, God, would you meet us for your purposes, that you would receive glory and it would be a great joy to us to live more in step with your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're in Psalm 51. It's a psalm of confession. And what we'll do this morning, we'll kind of just eavesdrop on the psalm. It's a prayer. Uh, it's it is logical, but in a sense, it's not about logic. It's about David meeting with, in this moment, his God. So we'll eavesdrop in on that conversation. We'll listen for what we hear in that intimate and transparent conversation. And then, though, I want to get kind of really bullet listy. So we're going to get into 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, this idea of confession. And we're just going to list out reasons why we ought to confess our sin and a few ways on how to do that. All right, so let's eavesdrop in on the conversation first, then we'll look at reasons and ways to confess. 
Psalm 51 begins in uh, verses 1 to kind of 6 is the first uh, part of the conversation. But, but even before that, when you step back up, you'll, you'll read uh, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now remember with me the story. Uh, this is out of 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. This is the context of this prayer that David will offer. or Not he'll offer in a sense. He'll have with God this conversation that leads to his transformation. And here's the setting. Uh, David, it's springtime, and, and most kings uh, go off to battle in the spring, the text says in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But, but David has stayed back. I, I don't actually think it's incidental. I think it's intentional. He stayed back, and he finds himself up on his rooftop, and, and he's gazing across and sees Bathsheba, and, and I don't think this is the first time he's probably been up on his rooftop and seen Bathsheba uh, bathing, but, but he does, and the text says she's beautiful, and he's drawn to her, and then uh, using his power and his might, he sends message to her because her husband is Uriah, David knows this, and Uriah is off to battle. So David sends a message to Bathsheba and brings Bathsheba to his house where he will sleep with her. And then she will go back to her house. And then lo and behold, she will uh, send a message to David later, which says, I'm pregnant. David knows at that moment, I'm going to be found out for my sin. So what he does is he sends to Uriah, his general. David has command over Uriah, who is Bathsheba's husband sends to him and says, hey, why don't you come home from the battle? Why don't you just go home and enjoy your wife? Uriah comes home, but he refuses to go into his home and to his wife because he says to David, I'm a soldier, and, and how could I enjoy my home and my wife when my fellow soldiers are out fighting? He's so noble, right? It highlights David's sinfulness. And then David says, well, fine, Uriah, come on over, have a party. And they have a party, and he, David gets Uriah drunk on purpose and sends him to his home again in hopes that he will go into his home and be with his wife. And again, Uriah does not. So David says, fine. He sends Uriah back to battle and tells Joab, his main general, when you go close to the wall in fighting and actually go too close, Joab, and make sure Uriah is right in the front lines, then everyone else withdraw and let Uriah die. And David covers up his sin and his shame. But then in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, Nathan comes, this prophet from God, because the Lord, there's this little phrase that says, the Lord is displeased with David. David, who is uh, captured in a summarily way as a, a man who is after God's own heart. He is uh, a man uh, who is fully devoted to the Lord. The Lord is displeased with. And Nathan comes and confronts him with his sin, and David is crushed, realizing, oh my God, I have sinned before you. That's when he prays this prayer. And the first thing we notice in the prayer is David is frightened, terrified even. He's terrified of the wrath of God, the justice of God on his sin. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. Mercy is the idea of do not give me what I deserve. 
What I deserve in my sin is your wrath. Have mercy on me. Withhold what I deserve according to your steadfast love. He calls on God's character, not his own righteousness or his own uh, just uh, living. But he says, I- I- I've got nothing to offer, but you, Lord, would you show me mercy? Give me what I don't deserve. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sins. He's taking ownership of who he is and what he's done before his God, and he knows it's worthy of punishment. He goes deeper, not just into what he's done, but into who he is. He says, I've done evil in your sight, verse 4, but he goes a bit further in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Man, I was born in in the very heart of who I am. It just flows out naturally. I I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what uh, what I ought to do, and I'm a sinful person before you. Evil. I deserve to be slaughtered. He even mentions kind of this sacrificial imagery in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. Uh, hyssop is that plant. Uh, it's a little plant they would use as a paintbrush to dip into the blood of slaughtered animals that had taken the place uh, of the sinner, and then they would paint the blood uh, on the unclean or the sinful to make them clean. He says, man, it's like that. I deserve that slaughter right there. Purge me. Cleanse me with hyssop. He says, deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, verse 14. Do you hear it? It's a fear of God and his wrath over his own sin and blood guiltiness. Unless we think, oh, that's just the Old Testament God. (laughs) Oh, that's just a God of the Old Testament that's righteous and just and holy and mighty. And, And, you know, that... Gee, we got Jesus now, and Jesus is my homeboy. Chapter 5 of Acts. Just listen to this story. But a man named Ananias was with his wife, Sapphira, and they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the land? While it remained unsold, didn't it remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal what to do with all that cash? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, so much. See, here's the sin. Uh, They've sold this land to give it to the early church uh, to continue the movement of the gospel. And and they've decided, hey, let's just say we sold it for this much and give that much. but, But really, they sold it for a ton more. It's it's not that they gave too little, but they're lying before men and before God saying, that's everything we got from the sale. Yeah, it's all yours. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. In our sin, we stand before a holy and righteous judge. And we deserve condemnation. And David is fearful of the wrath of God. Uh, but in his sin, he's not just fearful of the wrath of God. If we re read on as he continues to pray, he, he's fearful of a loss of love relationship with God. He's fearful of the wrath, but he's also fearful, man, I don't want to lose this amazing relationship I have with the living God. He says, purge me with hyssop, verse 7, and let me uh, hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out your transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, do you hear what he's saying here? He's, he says, God, hide your face from my sin. I'm, I'm sinful, right? But hide your face from my sin so that your, your face can be on me still. You can embrace me. We, we can still be friends in a sense. And cast me not away. Don't cast me away from your presence. I don't want to be orphaned. I, I know who you are. I know how loving you are. Don't cast me out. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, your presence dwelling in and with me. Don't, don't take it from me. I, I know how sinful I am. I, I don't want to be rejected by you and lose this loving relationship. You see, he, David, he's praying from experience here. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he's seen this happen with Saul, the king right before him whom he served. See, in, in chapter 16 of Saul, uh, 1 Samuel, uh, you, you see Saul in the previous chapter, 15, has been commanded by God to go wipe out this evil nation. And instead of wiping out this evil nation, uh, Saul has kept all the spoils for himself, and, and he's kept all these other people around there now intermingling, and, and the Lord is angry with him so much so. And then Saul, he, he kind of makes excuses for it, says this or that, he doesn't own up on his sin, and the Lord says, I'm done with you. And in chapter 16, verse 14, uh, we read these just devastating words that the Lord withdraws his spirit from him and instead gives him a spirit of torment. And, and Saul is in such torment, losing this love relationship with his God that, that he says, man, I need somebody who can play the harp. <laughs> I need somebody who can kind of bring joy to my spirit because I'm so downcast. That's when David comes into the scene. So David is playing the harp, a front row view of what it looks like to not enjoy a relationship with the living God. And David says, I don't just fear your wrath, God, but I don't want to lose this loving relationship that you've given me. See, I, I don't think we're God-centric in our fear. I think in our sin, we're more like circumstantial-centric. I, I don't want to lose this or that uh, relationship or this or that job. If we were David in this situation, we'd say, man, if, if anybody finds out about this, I'll lose my reputation. Or they might uh, take this as a good chance to overthrow me in my evil. I, I, if she finds out about this relationship, I'll lose my marriage. If she or he knows I'm looking at that, it won't go well for us. I can't share that. If my boss finds out the way I'm working here or how I've treated this coworker, or what I said about her, I, I, I'll be done. See, I think we don't fear the wrath of God. We fear the removal or change of our circumstance and kind of the repercussions or results from our own sin. 
I also don't think we fear the losing this loving relationship with our God because I think many of us aren't enjoying it fully. We're not sitting in the scriptures, know who he is and how deeply we're loved by this great, amazing, mighty God. We're not talking to him repetitiously in prayer and enjoying a conversation that's transforming our lives. So sometimes we don't resonate with the fear that David is feeling in this God-centric way of his wrath and losing his love. It, it's so God-centric, it's even a little offensive, truthfully, in this prayer, this conversation that David is having with God. Uh, notice what David says in verses 3 and 4. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And then look what he says, against you and you only have I sinned. David's saying this to God, and the first thing I want to say, whoa, not true. Uriah is dead because of you. There's a dead husband out there, and there's a cheated on wife out there because of you, David. You leveraged your power, you took her as your own, and then you killed her husband. Not true, but, but also at the same moment, it is so true in a primary sort of way, in a grievous or magnitude sort of way. Against you only, God, have I sinned. See, here's the reality. If we love God first and foremost, that will change everything about the way we love and care for others. And David goes right to the root. I have not loved you. I've not honored you. I've not hallowed your name. Against you only have I sinned. And look what it's created, this primary uh, sin and, and uh, um, turning my back on you has, has created this absolute disaster, the primary cause and everything else effect you weren't enough for me i needed her and the shame i feel in this sin i had to do this you would never forgive me for it his sin is primarily and in a priority kind of way against his god but it's also in a grievous kind of way against his god see he's wrong the one who loves him the most He's wrong, the one who calls him a son. He's wrong, the holy one, the righteous one, the just one, the eternal one. In grievous and magnitude ways, he's wronged his God alone. He's wronged a God who, who loves uh, him in such a way, but also loves Bathsheba and Uriah, his image bearers, in such a way that the sin is against God alone. When he has murdered and abused God's creation and God's image bearers and God's children. It's where the Lord's Prayer begins, isn't it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Would your name be made holy and set apart in my life in the way I live and the way I think, everything I do? And then would your will come in my life and all through me? Would you bring it? It's exactly what has not happened in this situation. Against you only have I sinned. That'll keep us from sinning, by the way. The primacy of our relationship with God. That'll keep us repenting and returning to God that we might live lives that honor Him. And that will also keep us from offering cheap, cheap repentance as well. That doesn't change anything about our lives or restore the wrongs that we have committed. Well, where does the conversation end as we continue to eavesdrop and listen in? Verses uh, 
13 and following, after the Lord restores the joy of my salvation, upholding me with a willing spirit. And then he says, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O Lord, my God of my salvation, and what? And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Man, I can't wait. And when your grace and your mercy is, is poured out, you know what I'll do? I'll teach everybody about you. Uh, those who are forgiven, follow. Those who are forgiven experience his mercy and grace. They proclaim his goodness, his mercy, his grace of a loving father who's offered it to them, even though they didn't deserve it. I'll talk about that kind of God, right? That's what David says. <laughs> Sinners, they'll return to you. They'll hear how amazing you are and what you've done. They'll return to you. I want to sing aloud of your praise. I want to declare your praises. The forgiven follow and proclaim the good news. This, this confession conversation leads to transformation in David's life. He says, I, I want everything to be about you here on out. Right in the middle of all that is just this kind of summary idea in verse 17. The sacrifices of God, you know what they are, what God most cares about, and in particular in our sin, our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you won't despise. I know who I am. I know what I've done. And here's the honest truth. Have you ever felt that? you ever felt that kind of contriteness, that brokenness over your own sin? I, I think sometimes we, man, we're, we're so fast, right? We just gloss past our sin. We just run right past it. And there may even be a whole kind of shrapnel of relationships and actions and inactions in your life as you just keep flying by your own sinfulness. No contriteness, no brokenness over who we are, what we've done. Uh, uh, sometimes we don't look at our own sin and, and say, oh, shoot, I've done that. But then why did I do that? How was that a sin against you and you alone, God? We don't get into the depths of our sin. We, just, we Again, we just gloss right past it. We don't, we don't focus on who we are and what we've done before our holy God. And, and therefore, we don't feel the contriteness of heart that the Lord receives and then transforms in conversation and forgiveness. We were thinking about this as a staff. When did this happen in our lives? When do we feel the brokenness, the contriteness of our sin and our spirit? I go back to a story and... Um, in my life, when I really felt, there's a few times I really felt the depth of the own weightiness of my own sin. Uh, Jacob was two years old. And we're like, we got to get him in the water. Get him. We're, we're in Texas at this time. We'd spent a few years out there. And um, we get him in the pool. Well, we're in the pool. You don't want to get water in his ear. So we're like, let's put silly putty in there. So we, we shoved the silly putty in there. I don't know if you ever did that. You, don't do that. <laughs> we shoved the silly putty in the ears. So he's swimming around and. No water in the ears, that's great. Then, then he comes out of the pool, we, we take the one silly putty out just fine, and then we take the other one out, go to, and it pushes in a little deeper. And so, uh, of course, it's like, oh, I can get this out. I'm like, no, oh, no, 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 don't get it out. You know, let's, wait, what are we going to do? Starts to get it out a little bit. And, and then I said, oh, my mom always did this. And I said, no, don't do that. She's got this uh, bobby pin, so just kind of uses the back of that to kind of, uh, kind of, pull it out of there. She goes, my mom always did this, got this right out. And, and I'm like, don't do that. Don't do that. And then she kind of pushes it in a bit deeper. And then they're kind of, dig she's digging at it a little bit. And then Jake starts crying. Then she starts crying. Courtney starts crying. And then I start berating her. Why did you do this? What? I told you not. You are so, and I won't repeat the things I was saying and what I was doing. 
And I was so mad at her. And then I calmed down, and, and later that day, I came to her and said, hey, I'm so sorry, you know, for, for saying those things to you. And Chili Putty was still in his ear, by the way. And she goes, it's not that you, you'd say those things to me. It's that when, when I made a really big mistake and I felt so sad and I was so wrong, it's that you'd be the kind of person who would say those things and do those things to me. Ugh. I'll tell you, that's, that's one of the only times I felt that, oh, woe is me before a holy, righteous God and how I act with an amazing wife who made a mistake. Oh, woe is me. See, I think we are too comfortable before our holy, righteous God. Not understanding who we are as sinful, wretched people. We don't understand uh, His demands, His desires on our life, and who we ought to be, yet who we are. We're too comfortable before our God. But I also think we are not comfortable enough before our God to come before him with who we are and what we've done and receive his mercy and grace and be transformed by his love. See, Hebrews 4.16 says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. The throne, we ought to be, oh, woe is me before the holiness of our God, the throne he sits on. But it's a throne of grace because of what he's done in the life and the death and the resurrection of his son that we come before his throne, the mighty, righteous God, but it's one of grace and mercy. Now, if you're the person who says, man, we are too comfortable before our God. We got uh, to respect his holiness, his righteousness. What he's called us to, his demands. If you're that kind of person, you have to watch out how you treat the sin of other people. How you uh, legalize uh, in legalism or, or judgment, treat other people. But, but if you're kind of the, the person who majors on the mercy, the love, where we've got to be more comfortable before our God, you have to watch about uh, how you're treating your own sin, managing it and just being okay with it. Confession is right that middle ground where the Lord wants us. It'll transform our lives. Oh, woe is me, but oh, what a mighty yet merciful, loving God is he. A bullet list we will fly through really quickly. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So here John just says plainly, you need to confess your sins. Here's the reality. All of us are sinners, and if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. Got you there too, right? You're a sinner too, right? Every one of us sinners. So what we need, ought to do is come before our God and confess our sins openly and honestly. Trembling, but also knowing we don't have the fear of the wrath of God before us because he's poured it out on Christ, yet we still have a holy awe and respect for our God, yet we come before the throne of grace with confidence to say who we are, what we've done, and be reminded and to be forgiven. Why? Seven reasons to confess. Here they are. We're going to go through them at lightning speed. 
The first is confession is salvation's prayer. This is a great reason to confess. Luke 18, uh, verses 9 and following, we see uh, this one uh, Pharisee comes before God in prayer, and he basically prays, I'm amazing. And then this tax collector comes before God and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God says, one of those two left justified or righteous or received by me, God, that day, the one who confessed who he is and his sin. Or think of the thief on the cross. He's uh, crucified next to Jesus, and he looks over and he says, man, he didn't do anything wrong, but I have. Lord, would you receive me? I confess who I am. And, and Jesus says, man, today you'll be with me in paradise. A, a friend of mine explained it to me like this. The simple prayer of salvation is just ABCs. <laughs> Admit, A, believe who Jesus is and what he's done, and commit. So the prayer of salvation is a prayer of confession. Without confession, there is no relationship with the living God. Uh, the second is this. Uh, we confess our sins to remind us of our forgiveness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 says we're blameless and pure. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says we're a new creation, done, said. The old is gone, the new has come. Uh, Psalm 103, verses 10 to uh, uh, 12 say, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, from the heights and the depth. They're gone in Christ. So when we come to confess our sins, here's what we remember. We were forgiven. We are forgiven. We will be forgiven. It's not by our own merit. Now our whole life is a response to the grace of God poured out on us in Christ. Confession reminds us, man, I, I, it's said and done. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm a new creation. I'm blameless. I'm pure. I've been sealed in the Holy Spirit. There is, there is no prayer of don't cast your spirit from me because I know I'm always yours by grace. God, you've had mercy. Reminded of our forgiveness. Next reason, to remind us of the cost to remind us of the cost. And when we're reminded of our cost, it will increase our love for our God and it will keep us from cheap repentance. And when we're reminded of the cost, uh, we remember that our, our sin, man, it costs us Jesus hanging on the cross, the beloved Son of God slain for us. Luke chapter 7, you ought to check it out. Verses 36 and following, it's this great passage of this sinful woman, this woman of the night coming before Jesus and and she, she cares for him, loves him, pours this alabaster jar on his feet. And, and Jesus says this little phrase at the end in verse 47 of chapter 7 in Luke. He says, those who are forgiven much love much. Remember the cost. Keeps us from cheap repentance. When we see the cost that Jesus paid, it reminds us God doesn't just skate past and say, you're forgiven. He says, I'll pay the wage. I'll pay the penalty of your sin. I'll take that on myself. I'll, I'll make up for it. I, I think of Zacchaeus, this tax collector, who's cheating everyone. In Luke chapter 19, we see his story. He's embraced by Christ. And so immediately, because of the embrace of Christ, the forgiveness, the cost of what Jesus does, does for him, he sells half of his goods and he gives back four times everything he's stolen from everybody. I love it. Another reason to confess our sins specifically and often is we enjoy the full embrace of our God. We sit before him unhidden. We say, Lord, this is who I am. I'm fully known by you, and I'm fully embraced by you. That'll change your life. <laughs> to be fully known, not have to hide your guilt or your sin, and yet be fully embraced 
by the living, loving God. I think of John chapter 21. That Jesus doesn't skate past Peter's sin. In John chapter 21, he says, man, you denied me. You ran away from me three times. You did it. He's like, hey, let's surface that. And he surfaces it. But then he says still, and I want you still. See, the difference between Peter and, and Judas is, is simple confession. is coming for owning his sin and being embraced by the forgiveness and love of Christ. Fully known, fully embraced. Here's a reason number five. The forgiven forgive flat out. This will rescue your marriage. Coming before God with your own sins, the depth of them, the motives of them, and realizing how forgiven you are, and then extending that same kind of love and forgiveness to your spouse. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 18. Now that parable of this uh, one servant who owes this huge debt, and God forgives him, and then he goes and he doesn't forgive Someone who owns this tiny little debt, and God says, that ain't right. You don't embrace the forgiveness of God and then not forgive others. It's impossible. As we go back to the forgiveness Jesus has offered us, we will forgive others. The forgiven are refreshed. This is another reason to come before our God in confession, honest, earnest, daily, specific confession. We're refreshed. Uh, Psalm 32, I won't read it here, but basically he says, when I don't tell you my sin, my soul withers away. So when I try and hide my sin from you or others, I wither and die. <laughs> and that's what we'll feel if we're hiding sin in our life, is that withering, that lack of power, that lack of enjoyment of intimacy with God and intimacy with others but we'll be refreshed. It's similar to fully embraced and fully loved as we're fully known. And last, number seven, confession compels us to holiness. It will compel you to holiness. Uh, Romans chapter six says, you're not gonna go on sinning when you realize how free the forgiveness is that God offers. What will happen is you'll be compelled to holiness because you'll realize how loving and trustworthy and amazing our God is so then we'll say, man, I want to live for you. I can't believe you love me this much. I trust you in everything. I want to obey you in everything. It will compel our holiness. In some, I'd say this. The more we confess, the more we see God's holiness and our own sinfulness. And the, the, the cross gets bigger and bigger. And the love of Jesus just overcomes our lives. When we keep going back to him, it, it's so counterintuitive. You think... Oh, woe is me as you'd come and you'd leave. Oh, man, I am terrible. You no, know, you come and you lay who you are before the Lord. Oh, woe is me. And he says, yeah, actually, it's even worse. I'm, I'm even more holy, God says, and you're even worse than you thought. But the sacrifice is more sufficient than you ever believed. The love of Jesus is, is greater than you ever imagined. Come on in, son or daughter. Uh, we don't have time to go over the ways. I'll send those out and touch on those this week. We respond to his word in confession. We look at how we've fallen short in our love of God and love of others in our confession. And there's a way we'll talk about later in the series of morning and evening confession and preparation, which we'll go over later. Let's come before our God and do this together. Uh, if you're able and willing, would you kneel before God with me now? This is a historic prayer of the church that I think is a good guide for us to pray together. 
And as you're praying this prayer, I want you to think about what's the thing you don't want to talk to God about? Now, sometimes me and a guy who helps me in accountability will say, now we've talked through all those things. What didn't you want to share with me today? Well, let's talk to God about that thing today. Let's talk to him now. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you. In silence, would you talk to God and remind yourself about who he is? He's your merciful God, and it's against him alone you have sinned. Talk to him silently now. ways you've sinned and I've sinned, we've sinned against him in thought, in our words, in our deeds, by what we've done and by what we've left undone. Talk to him silently about the things you've said or not said, the things you've done or not done, the thoughts you've had that nobody's known you've thought. Talk to him specifically and honestly. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Talk about the deeper issue with him now. The motives of your heart, the things you love more than him in these actions or inactions or this thing you don't really want to talk to him about. Or how you've not loved your neighbor, but you've condemned or slandered him or her. Talk to him about the love you lack for him and for others. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us. Now cling to the grace of Christ. Who loves the Father like you could never love the Father. Who loves you like maybe you don't even love yourself. Who's done everything you could not do or I could not do. Remind yourself it's for his sake that you come as a son or daughter right now, blameless and pure, a new creation, wholly embraced as you're fully known. It's not because you're going to do better on the back end of this or because it wasn't that bad of what you did or didn't do. It's because of who Jesus is and what he's done that you're a son or daughter. prayer ends that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Talk to him about how you want to live in response to his grace.
you want to trust him more in this or that area or follow him more in this or that relationship or something you need to make right on the back end of this because of his grace, his mercy, his love. And John, uh, sorry, in Psalm 51, uh, David mentions this hyssop, which is going to cleanse him or purge him. That paintbrush, the, the hyssop branch, is going to take the blood of this animal and painted on him for his cleanliness. It's mentioned all through Leviticus and Numbers. And, and in John chapter 19, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's making penalty for our sin. The wrath of God that we so fear is poured on Jesus instead. And the love of the Father then is turned away from Jesus but turned to us. And, and in that moment when he's hanging there, he says, I thirst. And it's on a hyssop branch <laughs> that they raise a sponge to him. A mark of remembrance. The cleansing that we receive in Christ. The acceptance and embrace that we receive in Christ. The love of the Father that can never be return, uh, turned away when we come to him in Christ. The wrath that was poured on Christ instead of us. If, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, would you take and eat? And remember how loved you are by your Father. What He's done for you in the Son. If you're not, would you receive Him for the first time this morning? Would you talk to Him in prayer? He wants to hear you and receive you and embrace you. Let's take and eat.